Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. I want us to take a look today at 1 Kings chapter 19. And we're going to begin our reading in verse 1. 1 Kings chapter 19. I will just tell you quickly that this, of course, is a book of history. 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. These were books of history. They repeat each other in places. They overlap in places like all history books do. Uh, they don't just pick up where the other one left off. But if you look at 1 Kings, it begins right about where David is about to pass on. Solomon is about to begin his reign. We're about a thousand years, uh, not exactly, but about, a round figure, a thousand years before the coming of Christ. And by the way, while I'm thinking about it, last week I, somebody shared with me that I was talking about uh, the fall of Babylon and I said the fall of Rome. I know your week has been devastated by that. Uh, so sorry about that. Maybe we can correct that. Uh, just uh, maybe we can put on the screen on the podcast today. If you're listening to the podcast now, it's too late. So your history is going to all be messed up. But sorry about that. But it's easy to get some of this mixed up because there's a lot going on. But First Kings will end with Ahab and uh some of the goings on that he did, and we're going to talk about that here in a moment. Second Kings will uh, open up about seven, well, about midway through, about chapter 14, I think, after Elisha gets established. Uh, the tribes in the north go into captivity. That's in 722. So then you have two tribes left in the south. And Second Kings will continue on until the two tribes in the south go into captivity. And they're in captivity for quite some time. And then Second Kings will end at about 561, so somewhere in there. When we look at the kings, though, and the history of them, we're at Ahab. His father was Omri, or Omri. And it says in 1 Kings chapter 16 that he was the most wicked king that had lived up to that point. Nobody could outdo him. But he's about to have a son that's going to. Because he's going to have a son named Ahab. Uh, and Ahab, of course, is going to marry a woman named Jezebel. And together, they're going to team up and they're going to outdo them all. As a matter of fact, if you look at the kings of God's people, boy, just think about this. This is God's people. This is not the Syrians or Assyrians or the Egyptians or the Canaanites. This is God's people. They had a total, northern tribes and southern tribes, they had a total of 42 kings. And only five of them did not deny the Lord God of Israel. Only five. And all five of them raised sons who did. That's some pretty sorry leadership. I know it would be hard to imagine living in a country that had sorry leadership like that. But that's where they were. And it's amazing. But here in... Chapter 17, if we went back that far, we run into a man named Elisha. He is the Tishbite. He's from Tishbe, so he is a Tishbite. And if we look at chapter 17, 18, and 19, in, in chapter 17, we would call that humility, I suppose, because Elijah, now just get this picture. He walks straight into Ahab's office. Here he is, a prophet, a Tishbite from Tishbe, and he says, it is not going to rain until I say it is. Have a nice day. <laughs> now, they had the early rains in October and November, and then they would have the latter rains in March and April, 
they didn't have to miss but one of those, and they were in trouble. For it to not rain three years like it's about to here, this is going to be big time trouble. So chapter 17 is what we would call humility. And in chapter 18, we see heroism because, man, uh, that's where Elijah tells Israel, if Baal is God, serve him. If Yahweh is God, serve him. But we're going to settle this thing today. And you remember on Mount Carmel, they had the big duel. And the 450 prophets of Baal were slain and all of that. And Elijah could not be having a better day. But then we get to chapter 19. And if 17 was humility and 18 heroism, then... I'd say chapter 19 is just pure old humanity. He's going to get hit hard here. Let's read it together. Chapter 19, verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. What, what a rag. What a coward. He didn't tell her what God had done. He said, I'm going to tell you what Elijah's done. He knew God did it. No way around it. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And he was afraid and arose and ran for his Life, And he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he is at the very tip end of the south. And Judah is in the southern part of Israel, so imagine that long skinny map. That's about as far south as he could possibly go. He is in Beersheba. He has run 120 miles at that point. He tells his servant, he says, you stay here. But he says himself, he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. I can only imagine that servant said, yeah, whew, I'm good. I'll stay right here. And came and sat down under a juniper tree. This is Elijah. And he requested for himself that he might die. And he said, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a juniper tree. And behold, there was an angel touching him. And he said to him, Arise and eat. And then he looked, and behold, there was at his head a, a bread uh, cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and laid down again. That's... I like that. Sleep till you get hungry and eat till you get sleepy. That's the way to do Mondays. The angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. You think you've traveled somewhere now. You really are about to. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb. This is Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, 240 more miles away. And then he came there to a cave cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by, and a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking the pieces, uh, the rocks, uh, breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire was a sound of a Gentle blowing. 
And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, we've heard this question before, what are you doing here, Elijah? That is not a geographical question. Then he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord. The God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant and torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. The Lord said to him, go. Which way? Return. On your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrived, or have arrived, you shall anoint Hazael king over Aram. And Jehu, or Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint his prophet in your place. And it shall come about, the one who escaped from the sword of Hazael, Jehu shall put to death. And the one who escaped from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall put to death. And then last of all, yet I will leave. It's kind of hard to translate in the Hebrew. He could be saying, I have kept, I have protected, I have maintained 7,000 in Israel. All the knees that have not bowed to Baal. And every mouth that has not kissed him. Sometimes in life, it's sort of like a, a boxing match, I guess. You step out of the corner, stand up from the stool, and step to the middle, and the bell rings, and that's the last thing you hear. You feel something really big hit you really hard in the back, and it's the floor. Your ears are still ringing. You're not stupid, we used to say. You've been hit so hard you can't see or hear. And it came so fast you never saw it coming. It was like life just absolutely pulverized you all in one smack. It was just absolutely... Uh, out, out of the blue. It was, it's just an incredible shot. And, 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 and you just never saw it coming. You just, boy, we're sailing along and, and you just never dreamed that it would turn out that way. It, it's been just about a year now since I, I took a shot to the head like that. And, and, and I'm, I'm just telling you, it, it, some of you have been through way worse things than my last year on this earth, but it's been pretty incredible, and it was pretty surprising, and, and I can tell you, it's almost like once you've been hit like that, at first you just don't know what's going on, and, and when life really takes you out, you, you fight everybody, people that are trying to help you up off the mat, you're fighting them, you can't see, you can't hear, you don't know where you are, people that are trying to love you and help you, they're an aggravation, and you don't... You, you, you don't even know which end goes on the floor as far as getting up. Or maybe you would look at it a different way. It wasn't the first shot. It was 12 rounds of pummeling. I remember the old joke about the guy that was in the boxing match and he was taking a beating. And every time he'd go to his corner, his coach tried to encourage him. He said, he's not laid a glove on you, man. You're doing great. And he'd go back out there and just get his brains beat out and he'd come back to the corner. And his coaches say, man, he's not touched you. And after about four or five rounds, uh, actually having his head pulverized, he came back to his corner and he told his coach, he said, he's not laying a glove on me. I understand that. He said, but would you watch that referee because somebody is beating the daylights out of me out there. Maybe yours was like that. It wasn't one just great punch, but it's been 12 rounds of pummeling. It's been years of putting up with a situation that you just don't have any answer for, and you've tried this and you've tried that, and you don't know how to fix it, and you pray to God and you beg Him to do something about it, and, and you, it just finally in the end you're so sore you just can't only really touch yourself, and life just will not relent. It's just like the circumstances are absolutely overwhelming and yes I know 
Christ, oh yes, He has won the war. We just sang about all of that. And, and we may lose a battle, but He's won the war. And one day it's all going to be okay. I got all of that. But, but maybe right now you're sitting there feeling like, well, I know all of that. But boy, I tell you right now, Pastor, I feel beat to death. I, 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 I'm stumbling and staggering. There's, there's a word called despair. And in the English language... We define it as something or someone that causes hopelessness. That's despair. When you feel like something's come into your life and you just feel like there's not going to be any more days of joy, there's not going to be any more happiness, it's, it, it's all over with. And by the way, for those of you who are like me, who prone, are prone to worry a lot, Let's go ahead and at least get to this part in case God calls me home before we get there, okay? Not one thing Elijah worried about came to pass. Not one thing. But it doesn't make any difference when in your mind you're scared to death and you're running for your life. Boy, let me give you two little pieces of important advice and then we'll look at the text. In 40-something years of being a pastor, I've learned two things about people when they get in trouble in their lives. And I would say in this case, especially when maybe you were the cause of part of it. Because a lot of the messes we get in, we cause ourselves. Elijah's been fighting prophets of Baal, but the prophet that's given him the most trouble in chapter 19 is himself. He is making some poor decisions, and God is using soft hands to guide him, and he's going to love him through this time. But right now, his biggest concern is himself. He's got things all out of sorts. So maybe you're there. Maybe you messed up your life. Maybe you ruined your ministry. Maybe you ruined your reputation or whatever. Let me give you two pieces of advice. One, don't abandon those who weren't willing to believe you. And migrate over to those who would believe you. Because the ones that might not believe you were willing to forgive you. But the ones that are willing to believe your side of the story and your side only, all they can give you is affirmation. Sometimes we run away from the place where people were willing to help us to heal. They were willing to sit down with us and, and help us to work through our issues. But it's so easy to... To, to decide, well, yeah, I, I, I know I had an affair, or I know I did this, that, or the other, I did something terrible, or, or I messed up my life, or whatever. It's so easy to go hang out with those people who said, yeah, well, my church judged me too, you know, and there's nobody who's perfect. And boy, I, I call it the gathering of the judged. There are whole churches that are built around that. Did you know that? There are whole churches that are built around, and I'm not saying because all of us need the grace of God. I got all of that. But it's so easy to find a whole collection of people that just come together, and, and you can even make your own congregation of folks who feel like, yeah, my last church, yeah, they, they, they didn't forgive. We'd have been glad to forgive we were maybe wanting you to face the issue or or to deal with the situation or or or, or face the truth and and maybe we didn't believe your whole side of the story maybe maybe we knew that you were trying to hide some things but we were trying to help you it's so easy to move away from correction and migrate toward affirmation that's why there's some empty green chairs in here this morning. The second thing I would tell you is this, and this is just inside information. We will all know when you really don't care what we think anymore when you quit telling us over and over that you don't care what we think anymore. We'll know you've moved on when you quit posting it every other day on Facebook. We really will. When you knock off with the memes on judgmental people and hypocrisy in the church and all of that, we'll know that you, uh, you really are healed and you're doing great. 
I can tell you when we are in a state of chaos where either we've done something wrong or either we have let the enemy just take us out of the saddle, whatever it might be. I I like what James says about Elijah. James in the New Testament says that Elijah had a problem. Maybe uh, some of you doctors have heard of this. He had homeopathes. Homeopathes. What is that? That sounds bad. They make a cream for that. Homeopathes means he has the same nature as we have. He said, Elijah was a man after our own nature. Elijah's problem is he was just like us. Somebody scared him to death. And he got his eyes off of God. And he put his eyes on his enemy. And then he became inward focused on himself. Listen to his prayer. And then he began to feel sorry for himself and want to die. Wow. Dealing with despair. Let's take a look at it. First of all, and there's just two points. You know what that means? Probably nothing. But the consequences of despair. The first one is it can lead to running. It can lead to running, says after Ahab told Jezebel about all of this, Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this same time. And he was afraid, underline that, and arose and ran for his life. Jezebel and Ahab were quite the couple. Ahab was king everywhere but at home. I'm not really sure you could say that. He had the crown, but boy, she wore the breeches. She was quite something else. Jezebel is a character just like none other in in Scripture. And, and, And I can tell you, she was after Elijah. David Jeremiah, in one of his books I read one time, says, Always make sure you take a good look at those who support you and make sure you look at those who do not. Sometimes those who threaten you and want to hurt you and put you down, it's so easy in our mind for us to put them on the same level as those who support us and love us and care about us. When a, when a mule kicks you, there's an old saying, Always consider the source. Because in our minds sometimes somebody puts us down, they got more problems than we have. They got more issues than we have. Now, if you're still in self-denial and, and, you, and you need to be around other people who are in self-denial that haven't owned up to their issues either, then they're going to be a great friend for a while. It's when you start to heal and you start trying to actually repent and get your life back right with God, that's when those people are going to be a thorn in the side. But it is amazing how that this woman could do this to him. I mean, here is a guy who attacked the 450 prophets of Baal. You would think that he is on a roll. And we get to the very next chapter, and I'll say this and we'll move on. So, so important to hear this. She could have sent soldiers to kill him. I mean, just like that. But I'll tell you, Jezebel is a lot smarter than Ahab. Jezebel was the brains in this outfit. Jezebel knew that if I kill Elijah after what my husband has come home and told me, I'll only make him a martyr. People already know that he speaks the Word of God. They saw the fire fall yesterday. They saw fire so hot it lapped up the water, burnt the sacrifice, burnt the altar, burnt everything around it. They saw me lose 450 of my prophets yesterday because of one man. They know that he's awesome. So killing him would only make him a martyr and it would just inflame them even more. But if I could scare him enough to get him to walk away from his flock, I'd have them. Because no matter what happened yesterday, if they see their leader running in fear and they feel abandoned, I've got them. 
I'll let you in on a little secret about us preachers. One of our greatest temptations is to quit. I pastored a church one time where I quit every Monday. I stopped doing that after a while. I started just quitting on Sunday night after church. I couldn't wait. We're rarely tempted to pray more. I hate to say that about us. We rarely feel that urge to, boy, just I need to trust in God more. I just feel so tempted. I just overwhelmed. I couldn't resist. I had to pray for eight hours without letting up. We rarely feel that. We rarely feel the temptation to, to, to go and find a brother and open up our heart and, 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 and pour out these, these discouraging feelings to them and, and to come together and to seek wise counsel. We are rarely tempted to do that, but I can tell you, Quite often we are tempted to quit. That is why I tell you, Cornerstone, pray for your pastors. Because I can tell you the enemy knows if I can get to the shepherd. You think about it. Think about this. And I'm getting personal here. But think about the shepherds that we have had that have gone. And maybe the circumstances weren't that good. I know God calls some to other ministries, but we've had some shepherds since we've been together as a church. I mean, from the very early days when we were over in the other building, we lost a a pastor there under some circumstances that just was not good. We lost a couple there, actually. Boy, when you do that, every argument that pastor ever settled, every sermon he ever preached, every... Uh, decision he ever ever made all of that comes back to haunt the ones who are still there man and it hurts the church it strips the confidence from a body it can lead to running the second consequence of despair it can lead to retirement Cutting himself off from the rest of the children of God, if we look in verse 3, says, He was afraid, and, and he ran for his life and came to Beersheba. And then when he got there, he only had one other person with him, and he left him too. I don't even want you around me. I don't want you around me, says, but he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness. I can tell you, you can't make it alone. And sometimes... I, I, I have a terrible case of this as well. Sometimes I just, when I'm in despair and when I really feel the weight of, of the enemy on me or, or perhaps it's something I've brought on myself, some needless thing, a failure in my life, or maybe I just had one of them days where life just knocked the tar out of me, I can tell you sometimes I just want to withdraw. And it encourages me some. I don't know how much you know about Charles Haddon Spurgeon, but he was one of the greatest preachers that ever lived. And I remember reading that there were days on Sunday mornings that his church leaders would have to go and get him out of his house and almost drag him to the church because it was time to preach. Spurgeon fought depression. He said it came over him like a blackness. Winston Churchill said that he kept having dreams about this large black dog that just chased him and said it would just run me down over and over. I think about a young lawyer one time that became in such despair, he said, I don't think I will ever get over this. But he had to because he became the 16th president of the United States. If you remember, he had a lot on his plate. I can tell you it can happen to any of us. Make us want to quit. I'm so so blessed. I have such a patient, such a patient wife. Uh, She's so sweet to me, and she helps me so much. I I know I say that a lot, but I just, I got to tell you, man, you remember like when you're trying to help a little kid and he's just fell in the parking lot and he just took the meat off his hand and you're trying to turn his hand over and he's, no. 
You ought to see a 61-year-old do that. No. Now, my, my issues are usually a little different. I, I, I do come home with some serious issues. I don't know who holds the record in Rutherford County for the most yellow jacket stings, but i got to be in the top ten. Man, wow. I've been kind of rough on myself. But boy, I can tell you, sometimes it just, you just want to quit. And you just want to get away when life pummels you like that. Running, retirement, it can also lead to rationalizing. He started comparing himself to others. In verse 10, it says, I have been jealous, but Israel, or zealous, but Israel has not. One of the things that happens so often when we get in these situations is we totally misunderstand what we're seeing in others. We're thinking, yeah, those people over there, they're not what they need to be. You can start seeing everything wrong with everybody else when you're in pain. Things that will never get on your nerves otherwise, they begin to, to get on your nerves. And then we start making assumptions and and, and that's one of the worst problems that you can do when you're wounded. You begin to question your self-worth and you begin to question your church. And, and boy, you start digging out some hypocrites to harp and carp on for a while. And, and, and your friends, you get to where you don't feel like you can trust them either. And, and I can tell you, you see it in the Word of God. A lot of times, some of God's greatest got around to where they began to question Him as well. I don't know if you've ever been there. I confess I have. God, this, this doesn't make sense to me. Now, I know that impresses God. When I tell him he's doing something that doesn't make sense to me. Because he knows I have the mind of a guinea. Okay? Oh, I'm the omnipotent, omniscient creator of the universe, and I seem to have done something that doesn't make sense to Mike. Get the angels out of bed. I'm glad that, secondly, there is a cure for despair. There's a cure for despair. The first one is so simple. It's rest. It's rest. In verses 5 and 6, that he lay down and slept under a juniper tree. And behold, there was an angel touching him. And he said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake of bread and a jar of water. So he ate. But the first thing happened, he rested. It might not just be physical rest sometimes it's emotional rest and spiritual rest sometimes it can be physical I, I will tell you this your physical body when it gets out of sorts I know you're going to go duh but w let me say it when it gets out of sorts when you wear yourself to a frazzle I can tell you it will begin to affect every area of your life I think it's interesting that Jesus says, Come unto me, all of you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you a good book by Max Lucado. It's only in a few translations. You probably haven't read that. I will hook you up with a Bible study that meets on Thursdays about exhaustion. That means I'll give you another meeting to go to. <laughs> no, he says, I will give you rest. When you need rest, nothing else will do. Nothing else will do. Come unto me. All of you that, how did you get tired while well, you were laboring? You weren't doing something bad. You were serving God. He said, you were laboring. You labor and you're heavy laden. He said, I'll give you rest. Secondly, it comes through refreshment. He gave him bread and he gave him water in verse 6. That was exactly what he needed. 
I know I like to say a lot because it makes a great point about righteousness and a great point about Jesus' concern for our salvation versus his concern about how life always goes for us day to day here. He's always going to look at the bigger picture. But in John 6, remember I've told you before that, remember the trick question, has Jesus ever let hungry people leave hungry? And the answer is yes. John chapter 6. But that's in the second part of the chapter. In the first part of the chapter, they showed up hungry and he fed them. Now the second part of it, he's trying to get them to focus not so much on their temporal need, but their eternal need. And when they refused to do that, he refused to feed them again. But the first time, they were starving hungry, or they were hungry, and so he fed them. As a matter of fact, it's the only miracle of Jesus that we find in all four gospel accounts. They show up hungry, and he feeds them. Sometimes, man, and this is such a beautiful story of it. We have this picture sometimes of God that, boy, I tell you, God's going to get me. I know, I know, boy, right now I'm, I'm, I'm not where I need to be. And I know, boy, i got a spanking coming when God gets a hold of me and all of that. And I, I, once in a while I've had a few from him. I, I, I won't ever forget them. But I can tell you so many times in my life, I was just like Elijah. God, I need some soft hands on me today. I've been beat to a pulp. I need you to, I need some tender love from you today, God. Isn't it incredible? God fed him. I I don't think we get all the details of this because I don't think you're off in the middle of nowhere sleeping and you wake up and there's an angel and you go, oh, he brought bread and water. I don't think it happens like that. I think your heart almost stops to start with. And then you kind of figure out what's going on. But see what God was doing for him. And after he ate, he went back to sleep. God knew what he needed. And I want to tell you something. If you think, man, I just need to get busier. I I, I need to add something else to my schedule. I, I need to be doing more. Well, about 90% of people that serve the Lord probably do. But that is not always the case. Sometimes you need to rest. And sometimes you need to just rest in the arms of God. I love looking at the pictures of me holding the grandbabies, especially when they're really small. Well, they just get lost in Papa's old big arms. They sleep, used to sleep on Papa's chest. Oh, they'd be about that long. Man, love. Just laying there, sound asleep. Old big Papa holding them. You know what all they were worried about? I bet they were lying there right then thinking, man, if this tax thing goes through, I'm going to be in another bracket and Papa's got them. Papa's like that too, don't we? We enjoy that. And I think there's a reason for it. I don't think it's just because we like to feel big and brawny. I I think for me, it helps me to understand that sometimes that's how I need God to hold me. I'm afraid, God. Or I'm tired, Lord. I'm out of resources on this one. I don't know what to do. I messed a lot of this up myself, God. How how are you going to handle that, Lord? Boy, sometimes I just need him to hold me. And the cool thing is, is he's willing to if I let him. He's willing to. And then last of all, restoration. Restoration. As I close, God gave him a fresh look at three things. One was his presence. And verse 13 says he spoke in a gentle blowing is literally what the Hebrew probably would be translated as. You could say a still, small 
voice. Remember ruach, the word for spirit in the Hebrew, and pneuma, the word for spirit in the Greek, are the very same words for wind. Very same words. So the wind of God is the spirit of God, a gentle, a soft word from God. But God let him know that he was there. But that gentle voice, I, I, I like it, you know, that there, there was an earthquake and there was fire uh, and then there was this great wind and that, I don't know, that's probably where that band, Earth, Wind and Fire, got started. I, I, don't, I don't know. You got to put these things together, people. Can't keep doing it for you. But then with that gentle voice, God spoke to him. I love what he asked him twice. What are you doing here? This is not where I called you. This is not where I put you. What are you doing here? Now, God knew. He wasn't looking for information. He wanted Elijah to think about, why in the world are you here? It's not where I put you. But even though you ran this far, guess who's still with you? Me. And you're not going to get away from that. He gave him a fresh look at his presence. He also gave him a fresh look at his purpose. God's purpose in verse 15, the Lord said to him, I got more work for you to do. And then look at what he tells him to do. Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And if you look at a map, he basically just goes up the right-hand side of the Jordan River this time. And he sends him to uh, through the wilderness of Damascus and says, when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Aram. That is Syria. That's not even God's people. But God is helping Elijah to understand, look, I not only am the God of Israel, I'm the God of all those other heathens out there as well. I can do whatever I want to do. And I'm about to change gods over in Syria. I'm not bound just to the Israelites. I can do whatever I want to do because I am God. And I'm going to use Hazael to, to purge my own people. And then I want you to go, and by the way, this was, should have been eye-opening, I want you to appoint Jehu to replace Ahab. That means something is about to happen with Ahab. And there he is. He's about to be killed. Jehu, oh my goodness. You just never met a character quite like Jehu. If you read about him, they ought to make a movie. Jehu, part four. Man. They could, they could have it. They could do a sequel or a, 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 whatever, the series. Yeah. They could do that. Man, Jehu was so awesome. He had a meeting one night for all the prophets of Baal. You can read about it. And they all got into this place. He said, we're all going to have a meeting. Have, get all the prophets coming over and we'll have refreshments. I'm not sure he said that, but he probably did. You can get religious people to show up that way. So they all get in this room. <laughs> It's building together. He locks the door. And he tells his soldiers, he says, you can pile the heads over here. I'm paraphrasing. Just pile them up right there. But don't let one of them out alive. Kill them all. Now, Jehu wound up being a wicked king. But I want to tell you, when God needs a Schwarzenegger, to get to the chopper. He can get one, buddy. He said, Jehu's going to kill a bunch of them. And he says, the one Jehu doesn't kill. He said, I want you to appoint your successor, Elisha. The, the point I'm making here is God wasn't finished with him. And I'm going to bet God's not finished with you either. For one, somebody needs to hear your story about how you ran 125 miles because you were so afraid. And how when you thought nobody cared about you, God did. And how when you felt like life had knocked every bit of the wind out of you, God was able to restore you. Last of all, his patience Verse 18, he says, I still have 7,000 in Israel. You see, when we 
get that attitude when we're in the middle of a personal crisis that nobody cares for God but me. I'm so upset. I was the only one that showed up for the meeting. I was the only one that cared about such and such enough to do anything. People at church, they don't half show up. They don't whatever. And I can tell you, pastors are the world's worst. Man. I... It's so easy for us sometimes to get so discouraged because we see who's not there instead of seeing who is there. I actually sent out some messages this morning to some people that I love dearly and I begged them to come today. You got me? I said I was never going to do that. But I know some people that needed to hear this word this morning. And so I I even said you, you can come and just slip in the back and slip out when you're ready. Man, what is wrong with me? It's not going to help them probably, but I just thought if they hear a word from God or maybe if they know how much I love them and miss them, if they would just come and hear a word from God, especially this word today about Elijah, because I saw them when they hit the mat. They hit hard. And most of it was their own fault. They messed up their life. And they've been running ever since. They ran a while, they retired. And now they're on social media rationalizing. Oh, please come. I was begging them to come. They're not here. It's easy sometimes to see the ones that didn't come. But you are here. So God had a message for you this morning. You feel that? I wouldn't ask for a show of hands. It's too personal, but I hope some of you right now are thinking, yeah. As a matter of fact, I I was wondering for a long time, Pastor, who told you I was coming? I didn't know. But I know who did know. And he reached out to you this morning, didn't he? With soft hands. And he said, I love you. Oh, I know. You messed up most of it yourself. Yes, yes. As a matter of fact, you did worse than you think you did because I'm God and I know everything. You blame part of it on somebody else. That wasn't their fault either. I mean, God knows it all. You think you're bad. He knows you well. You know you're worse than that, really. But he loves you. He loves you. Let's bow together right now. Nobody looking around nobody I rarely do this but if you're sitting here I'm going to be the only one that sees you and you'd like for me to pray for you as your pastor not just as I typically would but you got Maybe something really touched your heart today. Maybe you're one of those that either you got knocked out when the bell rung or you've had 12 rounds of pure hell in your life. Would you like me to pray for you? I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Well, there are hands up everywhere. Don't look. I don't want anybody looking. Thank you. God, you see these hands, Lord. You see these hands. Some of these folks, Lord, are tired. They're weary, God. I pray, Father, that you would just help them. I beg you, Lord, whatever that situation is, Lord, that 
Maybe it was yesterday. Maybe it was years ago. Maybe it happened all at once. Maybe it goes on every day. I don't know. But something in their life, God, has either sidelined them or it's trying to. The enemy is dying to hear the words from their lips, I quit. I can't do it anymore. God, we've been fooled sometimes by the enemy into thinking that the only way to get rest is to quit. Pray, God, you help us to see the only way to get rest is to come to you, not to quit, but to let you put your yoke on us. We've let everybody else run us ragged, God. We've let other people determine our schedule and occupy our time and lives, God. People, Lord, that never will love us like you do. You say, come and put my yoke upon you. It's easy. And the burden I'll give you is light. I will give you rest. Thank you, Lord, for that. I pray for everybody who trusted you enough to put their hand in the air. I even pray for those who didn't but should have God. Lord, I just pray that you would help us now. And God, as we close, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for coming and speaking to us today. In your name we pray, hallelujah, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at ServantsWay.com or email us at office at ServantsWay.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.